Please open your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. 1 Peter chapter 2. Have you got something worth not dying for? You know, to die for is a slang way of saying that something is great, is valuable, or is important. Often it's used in a trivial way, isn't it? So a uh, quick web search came up with to die for clothing, books to die for, and chocolate cake to die for. But the idea that something is so great, or so valuable, or so important that it's worth dying for, well, that grips us. And yet it assumes that death is the ultimate price, the supreme sacrifice, something terrible. But from a radically Christian viewpoint, dying is actually a good thing. When he wrote Philippians, the Apostle Paul was in prison. And uh, he, he, he tells us a little bit about his thinking in chapter one of the epistle. He says, For I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, I'm torn. There he is in prison uh, and uh, facing uh, uh, his future. And he said, well, you know, if it went this way, it could be executed. If it, if it went this way, I could be let free. Uh, and actually, to be with Christ, what a wonderful thought. Uh, uh, and yet, he needed to remain because he had a task to fulfil. He had something so valuable and important it was worth not dying for. What was that? Well, it was their progress and their joy in the faith for Christians to grow and for Christians to rejoice. Paul's life work was making disciples. And this was part of that. Hear what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says this, To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You say, which end? Verse 28, So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone perfect or mature in Christ. He wanted them to grow up. He wanted them to mature as Christians. And that's my goal this evening. Pursued, I hope, with the same effort. I want you to grow. Now, I'm not talking about growth in numbers. It's good to want that, isn't it? Local people to be saved by God. I prayed about that for you earlier. We prayed together about that. That people would trust in Christ. That they would join his people. That we would have new folks here. But it's also vital that existing Christians grow. That you mature and you make progress in your faith. It's like a Lego tower or Duplo. You know, I love Duplo. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's always that temptation when someone's got a big box. Can you get to the ceiling with a tower? Um, and it's often possible. But when you build up, if you build up, if you start really thin, it stays really unstable. It needs to be wider at the base in order for you to go up high, in order for it to go up, to grow. And... Uh, and so it is, as, as new people become Christians, existing Christians need to get wider, spiritually, 
uh, as it is. Um, they need to be strengthened in order, as it were, for the, the church to grow up. There needs to be a strengthening of, of the believers who are already believers. And nothing is more important for you than to make progress and to know joy in the faith. That's what I want for you, that you might grow, that you might make progress and that you might know joy in your faith. So how is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Three points this evening. The first is the starting point for growth. It starts and then the second and the third points are how to grow and what you need to do to make it happen. And all three are from those verses that we read. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious or tasted that the Lord is good. So what's Peter's concern in these verses? Peter's concern is that his hearers would grow up in their salvation, that you might grow thereby. Back in chapter one, he described their salvation. They'd been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, verse three. And now they loved Jesus and they believed in Jesus and they were rejoicing in him. They were being saved. As in verse 9. And in the light of all of that, Peter exhorts them to look forward to Jesus' return and all that it would bring. And in the meantime, to be holy, verses 14 to 16, and to love one another. So he's describing their salvation and its outworkings. And then in these verses at the start of chapter 2, Peter shows them how to advance in holiness. How to advance in holiness. But you see, there's something that Peter assumes is true of them. Because it's true of every Christian. Something that needs to be in place if we are ever to grow. And that, is, that starting point is our first point. And it's this. Number one. A Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. A Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. God is good. God is good in himself. God is good in creation. God is good when he judges sinners. God is good when he saves sinners. Everything he does and everything he is, is good. In fact, the 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards went as far as to argue that this is the great thing which marks out a Christian. A Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good not just that you hold it in your head but that you have a deep and driving conviction that god is good you have a, a relish for god you see him as good and great and so kind and worthy of your praise and worthy to be followed not just because he has saved you though you're thrilled by that no it's god in himself that has gripped you who he is who jesus is what he is like Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, if you're not a Christian this evening, you may know all the things that Christians believe. You maybe do many of the things that Christians do, but you won't have seen this yet. 
You can't have been gripped by this goodness of God. Otherwise, you would here and now put your faith in him. Only God can give you such a taste and such an appreciation of himself and his goodness. You know, sin blinds us to it. But God opens people's eyes. Now, Christians have their wobbles. They do. They may face all sorts of trials which lead them to question. You might think of Job. And struggle under this huge weight. Part of their pain comes from not being able to see how it all fits together. But still underneath all the turmoil is this unshakable conviction that God is good. Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. Now is that true of you? Is that true of you this evening? You know it's easy just to know stuff. Particularly when you come from a Christian home. I know that. That was my experience for the first 13 years of my life. It's easy just to know stuff. And it's easy just to behave in a certain way out of habit. Or out of conformity. Fitting in. But has God given you a relish for him? You know, if you ignore or resent God, you will discover too late that he is good, too good to leave your sins unpunished. But if you come to him in sorrow for your sins, you will find that he is good and also merciful. You can taste God's goodness. And I don't want to say any more on this, but it is the vital starting point if you are to grow in faith. And if you're not a believer here, you have got my perfect uh, uh, permission to think only about what I've said up until now. You can switch off. Because you, and whatever I say from now on, if you don't know and if you haven't tasted that God is good, it will not do you any good. You have to know. You have to start there. Think about Christ. His goodness is all seen there. But how are you, how are you to grow? If you, are, if you have tasted that God is good, how are you to grow if you're a Christian? Well, those are the, the other two things I've got to say this evening. So number two, if you are to grow, you must be a Bible addict. If you are to grow, you must be a Bible addict. Now, how do you grow a baby? How do you grow a baby? They're not like plants, are they? You can't just put them on the, in a pot on the windowsill. Sort of water. It doesn't work like that, does it? How do you grow a baby? with milk milk is god's superfood for babies everything they need for months and months in one food and what's more most mums have it on tap you don't even need to go shopping for the supply and that's the picture the picture here is something nutritious that causes christians to grow as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow Thereby, or you may grow in it, and grow in your salvation. So, what is this milk? Well, my heading gives it away, doesn't it? If you are to grow, you must be a Bible addict. And the version that we're reading from, that I'm preaching from, translates it the milk of the word. Now, that's a bit of an over translation. Other, verb, other, other versions have spiritual milk, but the word for spiritual isn't the usual word. The usual word for spiritual in the New Testament is to do with the spirit so usually when you meet the word spiritual it, it from the spirit to do with the spirit 
But this word here is a word that means something like figurative or, or logical as opposed to literal. But it, it, it also seems to be a play on words. So you've got logikos and logos. Logikos is the sort of the, the spiritual and then logos is, is the word. And so milk of the word so it certainly gives you the sense. We're happy to go with that. The pure milk of the word. And also that fits with the context. The nearby verses, verses one and two are one sentence. The main thrust is in verse two, verse one leads into it. And that means that the therefore, at the beginning of uh, chapter two, uh, leads into uh, the command in verse two. Therefore, crave pure spiritual milk. So what is the therefore, therefore? Well, what is it at the end of chapter one that leads into this command? Well, those verses are all about God's word, aren't they? Verse 24, all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, in the light of this word, this word that endures forever, this word of the gospel, uh, this word of good news which was preached. In the light of that, therefore, as newborn babes desire this pure spiritual milk, this pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. The word that endures, the word that they'd heard. Verse 23, born again, not of incorruptible seed, and not of corruptible seed, I'm smacking the the heart. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Living and enduring word that God had used to bring them to life, they need to keep craving that. The same word which is life-giving is also growth-giving be born again through the living and enduring word of God therefore crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation the milk is the word the bible elsewhere in scripture we see that growth comes through God's word Matthew chapter 4 man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord I remember Colossians 1 that we had earlier how are they to grow well to this end uh, i struggle but it's proclaiming christ that is how uh, the, uh, the the christians there were to grow and mature now elsewhere in the bible and sometimes milk it means elementary basic teaching uh, um, but uh, say for example in 1 corinthians or hebrews 5 but here it's just a description of for all life-giving nourishment that the milk of the word is it's just god's word and so how should we feel about it we should crave it. We should crave it. Psalm 119. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. Verse 131. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. That's a very strong appetite, isn't it? The description there. Or Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh God. You know, babies crave milk eagerly, persistently, loudly and often. And like newborn babies, doesn't mean that they're necessarily young Christians, but that whatever stage they're at, they need to have that craving. If you want to grow, you need to be a Bible addict. Now, addictions are usually bad for you, aren't they? But not all of them are. A baby's insatiable appetite for milk is a good thing. There are other good addictions, addicted to doing good. 
addicted to serving others, to prayer, to evangelism, to encouraging other people. Those are the things that should grip us and be uh, uh, be uh, driving us. Now, what, it, what, what, what makes scripture addictive? It's the taste. It's the taste of the Lord and his goodness. That's, that, that's the thing that so attracts and nourishes the, the believer in the Bible is scripture's testimony to the Lord's goodness. You know, this isn't Bible reading for Bible reading's sake. No, I can tick the box. I've done that this morning. Uh, it's easy to, 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 to be like that. But this is reading because in the Bible we encounter the good God. As newborn babes desire pure, the pure milk of the word that it may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, that the Lord is good. That's an exact citation of Psalm 34 and verse 8. And there the Lord is Jehovah in the Old Testament, Psalm 34. But we see in verse 4 that Peter is clearly talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Come into him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. It's another indication all over the New Testament of the divinity, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what attracts and this is what nourishes the believer because in the Bible they encounter the goodness of the Lord God seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians read scripture to encounter him. That's why we came here tonight to hear scripture preached. That's why you should open your Bibles each day that you might meet with Jesus, that you might encounter God in all his goodness. And so how is your appetite? How is your appetite? <coughs> Comes naturally for a baby, doesn't it? Comes naturally for a healthy Christian. But you can lose your appetite if you're glutted on junk food. If you're glutted on junk food, you will lose your appetite for healthy food. So are you filling your mind with other stuff that weakens your appetite for scripture? Before you get to your Bible, have you been scrolling and, 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 and looking here and there? Are you on social media? Or is, is the word the first place that you go in your day? If you, if, you, if you glut on other things, you will lose your appetite for the Bible. I mean, some things in their place. But there are some things which will, which will make you want to read the Bible and love Jesus more. And there are some things that will make you want to read the Bible less and love Jesus less. And you want to get rid of those other things, even if they're not sinfully wrong in themselves. If they are impacted, you know, it's like chicken nuggets are nice, aren't they? They're not wrong. But if you only have those, then you won't like healthy food so you can't say well, you can't not ever have them and so there's lots of things in our lives which we need to think well there may be a time and a place for these things but picking on them is going to undermine my appetite for the scripture and therefore uh, we need to do that and it's also easy to think that we're taking in god's word when really we are simply feeding on substitutes and so yeah it's great to have bible reading notes Oh, it's great to read commentaries. It can be very helpful, but don't let them be a substitute for Scripture itself. Make sure it's the Word that you're... Yes, maybe something to help you, but something that's bringing you back to the Word. Helping you to see the Word. Pure milk. It says, isn't it? And it's newborn babies desire the pure milk 
of the word, pure. It's unmixed with anything else. It's free from impurity and imperfection. There's no additives. There's no preservatives. The Bible doesn't need them. It's been preserved for the last 2,000 years. It doesn't need extra things in it to be bulked up or watered down to give it so-called relevance. And there's no better way to gain or regain an appetite for scripture than by reading it. Develop a habit. Find a system. Find something that works for you. For some people, they, they, they have a through the Bible in a year. If you've never read the whole Bible, then maybe get a, a through the Bible in a year book for, for Christmas and, and, and go for that next year. But for other people, they find that that's just too much. For some people, it's a bookmark. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament and a part of each, each day. That's a great way to read. The way I do it is I have a list of New Testament and Old Testament books and I read a, an Old Testament one and I read a New Testament one and then I think, what do I fancy reading in the Old Testament now? But I always make sure I've covered all of them over time. <coughs> read here. If you're to grow, you must be a Bible addict. But here is something scary. You can be busily guzzling down scripture and it might do you no good at all. So here's someone who's eating and eating, but they're getting thinner and thinner. Why is that? They're eating and eating and they're getting thinner and thinner. This is going to gross you out because they've got a, a worm inside them, a tapeworm. And so the worm is getting the food and they're not. I remember preaching, well, I preached this sermon and one lady put her fingers in her ears because she knew what was going to come in my illustration. Got a tapeworm. They're common in developing uh, countries. They live in the intestinal tract and they grow to five metres. Phil, that's gross. Good. Sin is gross. So here's our third point. If you were to grow, you must be throwing out sin. If you were to grow, you must be throwing out sin. The first thing that used to happen when a baby was born, I don't know if it's still like this, I've seen five births. First thing that used to happen when a baby was born was that it was given a good smack on the bottom. Why? Well, not because it was to blame for the whole painful business. <laughs> not as a, a sort of a down payment ready for all the subsequent badness. Not as a theological statement about the inherent sinfulness of babies. No, it was to get it to shout to get it breathing and maybe to clear out the gunk from the airways there was stuff that needed getting rid of if the milk was to do good if you were to grow you must be throwing out sin look again at verses 1 to 2 therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby see Getting rid of those sins should go side by side with your hunger for the Bible. In fact, if you aren't throwing out those sins and others like them, then your appetite will probably be dwindling and you certainly won't be productive. You won't be growing. No amount of scripture reading or study or sermon hearing will do you any good if you refuse to rid yourself of these growth preventers. John Owen said, be killing sin." or it will be killing you. You need to wage war on these destructive attitudes and behaviours. You say, wage war? 
Isn't that a bit harsh? He said, not at all. We don't have sympathy for cancer. Sin is a spiritual cancer. And what's more, the war has already started. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The war has started. So the question is, are you going to simply sit there and get butchered or will you take up arms against sin? So what needs to go? Firstly, malice. Malice, ill intent and harmful actions towards another person. And Peter says all malice because there are all sorts of different forms of it. Do you ever get a secret satisfaction when someone who annoys you gets what's coming to them? Malice, ill will towards someone. It needs to go. When you, when you feel such feelings rising, you need to resist them. You need to ask God for forgiveness. You need for help. You need to be rid of it. And deceit, laying aside all malice and all deceit. That's cunning, that's manipulation. Words that harm others or use others to get what you want. Trickery, falsehood. Not being straightforward. Jesus was so straightforward. He said it as it was. Chapter uh, 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 2 and verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Dishonesty in business practice, cheating in your studies or exams. Whatever it is, it needs to go. All malice, all deceit. And then there's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy particular form of deceit pretending to be something that you're not think of the pharisees in the gospels paul writes in timothy 1 timothy 4 about the appearance of religion mark chapter 12 describes people who seem to be genuine they come to jesus and they flatter him good teacher we know that you teach in accordance with truth da, 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 da. but really they're trying to trip him up to trap him in galatians chapter 2 it's peter's peter this Peter is his bad example of separating from the Gentiles. There were people that he wouldn't mix with. Paul has to call it out. It's hypocritical, inconsistent. It's showing off in religion. It's wanting people to have a higher opinion of you than they actually should. It's telling the story about what happened to make you look good and the other person look bad. It's been one thing at church and another thing in the week. I had plenty of years of practice at that before I was converted. If you're going to grow, the first thing you need to do is be honest. That you need to grow. And more than just sort of general platitudes. Oh, I need to. And people are oh, such a terrible sinner, but when you point out something that's wrong with them, they take great offence. You need to grow. You need to be dealing with sin. Throwing it out. Another thing that will hinder your Christian growth is envy. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. I wish I had your situation. Wish I had your stuff. Wish I had your job. Wish I had your spouse. Envy. Wish I had your gifts. Wish I had your opportunities. And finally, evil speaking. Untrue words, unkind words, unnecessary words. And again, it's all evil speaking because there's so many different varieties of it, isn't there? Peter's readers have been slandered, but they weren't to answer back with slander. How easy it is. When someone says something wrong about you, 
someone criticizes you, you criticize back. And so there's malice and envy, which is thoughts, and there's slander, which is words, and there's deceit and hypocrisy, which is words and actions, and you need a thorough clean out. You mustn't say that's just how I am. It's just how I am. That's just who I am. It's not who you are anymore if you love the Lord Jesus. Yeah. You must take practical steps to root out sin. It won't just happen. You need to be intentional in identifying and getting rid of the things, these things, drawing on God's grace, depending on God's spirit. Squeeze it out by replacing it with positive things, with the opposites. Want the best for others. Not malice, I want the best for this person. <coughs> be transparent, not deceitful. Be content, not envious. Speak words which are true and which build other people up rather than ill-speaking, whether that's spoken about people or whether that's spoken to people. If you are to grow, you must be throwing out sins. A Christian is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. If you're to grow, you must be a Bible addict. And if you're to grow, you must be throwing out sins. You know, some families have a wall chart, don't they? They've got a wall chart there with, with, with lines on and dates on, you know, Fred's sixth birthday 115 centimeters or whatever it is and over the year the growth is evident hear what paul says to timothy in 1 timothy 4 he says be be diligent in these matters so that everyone may see your progress what a challenge not just will you grow in the coming year but will it be evident timothy was in the public eye so everyone would see what a challenge to me what a challenge to other leaders. But for all of you who are Christians, will those who know you best see evident progress in you over the coming year? And the answer is only if you have a steady scripture intake, if you're drinking in the Bible, and only if you're serious about throwing out the sins that God reveals in your life. So what will give you an appetite for scripture what will give you the commitment to deal with sin it's a taste that the lord is good it's that taste which will make you want more of him in his word each day and it's that taste which will make you want to be more like him more pleasing to him and thus will enable you by his spirit to make the necessary changes in your life in with the bible out with sin. That's the pattern for Christian growth. Isn't it? It's not rocket science, is it? It's quite straightforward. In with the Bible, out with sin. That's the pattern for Christian growth. That's what brings glory to, to God. That's what brings the joy that goes with progress in the faith. That is something worth not dying for. May God help us all to grow. For his glory, for our joy for the eternal good of those around us. Amen. Let's uh, sing as we close. Number 22, a very honest song. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart, own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel power, let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You've loved and purchase me there we are you've loved me you've purchased me you're good i've tasted that you're good and so help me help me occupy take over my heart
Uh, and so we sing of uh, all that we were, all that God has made us, and then help me now to live a life that